0: Uh, Welcome to another episode of Indigenous Words and Ideas, Why, and today I've got the attorney, the Uso uh, Alema Leota with me, and going to share some uh, perspectives and knowledge on American Samoa and some of the issues going on there. Now, I'll let you introduce yourself, bro, um, just who you are, and then a little bit of what you were doing professionally, I guess, before and now.
1: Sure. So... Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, my name is Alem Leota, and I live here in Utah, born and raised here. Um, I just got back, moved back here from American Samoa. I was there for six years. Um, I was in the Attorney General's office for about two, and then uh, about five years, I served as the Governor's uh, Legal Counsel. Um, and then I moved back, like I said, in October, and I work at the University of Utah now as an equal opportunity consultant which means I deal with the discrimination and uh, harassment complaints up at the university. So that's just a little background.
0: Cool. Do you uh, mind maybe just to kind of set a little bit of a background of kind of the context of American Samoa? Like what's a little bit about, I guess, the history or the legal uh, positioning of American Samoa?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the easiest would be So American Samoa is a territory of the United States. Um, It's unorganized and unincorporated as what they like to call it, which means unorganized means it's the only unorganized territory, which means we don't have an actual statute that um, describes or sets out our relationship with the United States. And we're unincorporated in the sense that the idea is that the constitution of the United States doesn't fully apply to to American Samoa. Just a little history, in 1899, tripartite agreement was signed between the US, UK, and Germany, which basically was a non-interference agreement, which split up the territory um, in Samoa um, and Tonga. So Germans took um, independent Samoa, which is independent Samoa now, Americans took American Samoa, and the UK took Germans' interests in Tonga at that time. Uh, There was a swap there. And so then ever since that, in 1900 and 1904, two treaties were signed, or what's were called the Deeds of Cession, which the chiefs of the Matai of American Samoa of Manua and um, Tutuila and Aunu'u they signed away the sovereignty to the U.S. with one promise or one with one requirement that um, that the U.S. would respect the land rights and customs of the people of American Samoa. So that's kind of the beginnings of American Samoa. And that's where Flag Day comes from, for those that don't know, is that it comes from the signing of the deeds of session.
0: Super interesting, because one of the things that is big in a lot of indigenous political movements is, I think it's change in language of saying unceded lands. And part of that, so like here in Aotearoa, for example, comes from the fact that there was two treaties in the case of of Aotearoa, New Zealand, for example, where it's supposedly one treaty, but one was in English and one was in Te Maori, and they mean very different things in those languages. And so, like when you're talking about like not giving up custom or land, like is there any disputes around interpretation of those legal documents or treaties, or people revisiting them and rethinking, was this, what 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 does it mean to to cede this, and was there really a ceding of land if they're still trying to saying that you they're holding on to land does that make sense
1: yeah no i see what you're saying yeah no i do think that that's a hot button it's actually pretty novel the the arguments coming from and i guess you know if this is happening other places this is happening in american Samoa too but yeah i mean there's with regards to the deeds of session which so the deeds were signed in 1900 1904 and they were ratified in 1932 which means it became a treaty basically at that time but there really hasn't been much back and forth as of yet as to regards the interpretation in Psalm 1 versus English. Um, not yet, at least. But there are more and more issues as, you know, and I think that's because back in the day there just wasn't as much American presence or U.S. presence. But as, you know, technology makes the world a lot smaller and there's geopolitical positioning, I think this does come up a lot more. It has come up recently in the case where there there was an interpretation, I think, that was different in Sa'an 1 versus English. Um, it really wasn't explored because it wasn't super central to the case. But I think I can imagine that it would get to the point where it ha- it would come up. It hasn't yet, just because there hasn't been a, an issue that's, you know, kind of pushed it to the forefront. But I definitely could see that happening.
0: So I'm wondering, you know, kind of in that light, like maybe we can talk about a little bit of your case and regarding like the Samoan fishing rights, which deals with some of these issues, right, of, um, and I think Samoa is an interesting case, like Tonga and Fiji and Papua New Guinea and other places where, you know, these are, in a sense, indigenous issues, but they're indigenous issues in a place where the majority of the population are indigenous peoples. And so sometimes that can get a little bit complicated, because it's not the mainstream kind of conversation. Usually it's you know, like UN definitions, for example, usually treats indigenous within, you know, focuses on those who are minorities within a nation state. Whereas in these cases, like, you're a majority population, but that may not be the case in regards to power dynamics. And so you were involved in, you know, some Samoan fishing rights, but again, dealing within the context of Samoa. Maybe, I mean, could you share a little bit about that? And kind of, I think, as it relates to what you're talking about as well before of the ideas of being, you know, it's different because of the, the the legal kind of framework and precedence there.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, the case that I would end, I will say that it's um, ongoing litigation, so I can't talk in super detail about some of the stuff, but just a general overview of kind of where we're at with it and some of the arguments and issues involved. American Samoa um, government filed a lawsuit against the NOAA Fisheries for p- issuing a rule that shrunk a certain area of fishing from 50 miles to 12 miles. And the argument was is that it um, infringed on cultural fishing rights. And those cultural fishing rights are found in the Deeds of Session. So, you know, just barely we talked about the interpretation of the Deeds with regards to one interpretation and English interpretation. That didn't come up necessarily as much, but it did come up. The interpretation of the Deeds itself in English did come up. And so the big one that's come up in this case was, are there fishing rights included in those deeds? So, yeah, so that was kind of the main issue or the main issue that's been um, discussed in this case is most of the de- The deeds talks about land and other property. It talks about that the U.S. should respect uh, American Samoans' ability to basically administer their own land and other property according to their customs. So... We fit that fishing rights is would be other property, like the waters and things like that. But the interesting thing is that on the flip side, on the, the federal government side, their argument is this plain reading of the treaty that, oh, well, what you know, it doesn't say specifically that you have fishing rights or it doesn't say specifically that you have rights to the waters. And so that's kind of the legal argument that's going back and forth in this case. So we won at district court federal district court in Hawaii, and then they appealed it to the circuit court, and we just had arguments on it last month. But yeah, so there's that kind of tension as to what's the interpretation of it. And we've used a lot of you know Native American case law, Cougar Den, Paravano, um, some cases that have interpreted Native American treaties. We've used that to help us in interpreting ours you know, and into what, what it means legally and its legal effect in this case.
0: So it's an interesting case because like it deals with ocean space right which and then you mentioned uh, before that that you can only do it in a particular way too like so this is with with the alia the certain Mm -hmm. types of sea vessels and in a sense i mean my impression is that it's protecting what i would at least in my just kind of impression of sustainable fishing practices which would be in the best interest of like long-term subsistence is that fair a fair interpretation
1: yeah, I think that is for interpretation. I think that it's, yeah, I think that, you know, that's a really good interpretation of what it would entail because the difficult part, I think, for a lot of people to think is, well, because culture changes, what it, does it mean? What does cultural fishing practice mean, right? You know, for instance, some saw one's own boats that are long liners, that are these big boats that they can, they wouldn't be able to fish in this 50-mile area zone. And their argument is, well, we're sawing ones too. How come we can't fish in there? Well, the idea is, again, you know, what are they doing with that catch? How are they catching that catch? You know what I mean? You know, what type of fishing gear are they using to catch that catch? I think a lot of those things go into the determination of what's cultural fishing practice and and what's not. I mean, I don't think anybody's arguing that, you know, a $15 million boat, at this time, a $15 million, you know, per saner, is cultural fishing? It, could it be in the future? Possibly, because culture does change. But at this time, you know, you know, the argument would be that it's not. And a lot of that's not just how they catch you. It, it would be what they use the catch for. How do they distribute that catch in the village? Is it sold mainly for profit, or is it, you know, used as subsistence? So I think all those factors go into that help go into that determination of what's cultural fishing practice and what's not. Mm-hmm.
0: thing I wanted you to share on was this new recent thing that took place as far as citizenship and and American Samoans and maybe give a little bit of what was what happened and what's going on now
1: there's the separate case besides this fishing rights case the other big case that American Samoa is dealing with right now is the citizenship case that the most recent one is the case here in Utah that the federal district court Ruled that the 14th Amendment citizenship clause applies to the territories, meaning that it's birthright citizenship. So, in this case, this, when you hear about citizenship in American Samoa, American Samoans now, right now, well, previous to the ruling, and it, the ruling's on stay, so it's kind of a gray area, I guess. Um, but you could say that the people that are born are uh, nationals, right? um they're not citizens so they're not able to do certain things that citizens can do um, which would be um, run for some public office Um, they have to go through the citizenship test and pay a fee in order to become citizens so there's all these different things that they have to do to become a citizen and so the argument from the plaintiffs is that hey look we're a part of the united states so we should be citizens Um, american samoa filed against that and said we don't want to be citizens. One, because we are afraid that it would endanger the Fasa the, so they're endangering the culture. And two, the other main reason is that, hey, look, we're the people that need to make this decision. Let us self-determine and determine what we want, what we want our status to be. So those that's kind of the main issue involved in this citizenship case
0: so on one hand uh, you know talking about the culture you mentioned Samoa, how how is that uh, i guess defined legally or how because you you've mentioned that and how is that linked to let's say land and other i
1: guess legal protections to answer that I would probably go back to the deeds of session if you were to talk about how it's protected or how theoretically how it should be protected I guess is that 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 was the deal that was struck right is that if you allow us to administer our lands according to our own customs and so it doesn't necessarily say for Samoan or the culture but that's what it is right because we all know that everything derives in Samoan culture titles clans families everything all that derives from the land the culture um, the Samoan culture without the land I just don't even know what it would look like and so that is one legal protection would be the deeds of session well, basically right now what you have to understand is how how the land is protected and kept within families one way they have done it is a race-based law which is basically you cannot own the land or not even own it you can't possess the land or own it unless you're of one descent so it's a race-based law which here under the equal protection clause in the under the 14th amendment in the america in the united states that wouldn't fly right but it does there as of right now. And so the fear is if the Constitution becomes more applicable in territories like American Samoa, then the fear is is that that Equal Protection Clause becomes more operational and that that can challenge that race-based law, which is meant to protect the land in American Samoa. That would be the argument against that with regards to applying the constitution more fully in, ter- in, in the territory.
0: So there's some apprehension, it sounds, from s- some parties in regards to the, the citizenship case. Like one of the things that we've talked about was that there seems to be a, a different kind of perspective on this issue, whether you are based in American Samoa or whether you're in the, the American Samoan diaspora on the U.S. continent, for example where at least in my observation it was like celebrated like when that came up like it was like finally everyone's happy and so maybe do you mind sharing a little bit about that like because that context is a little bit i mean because there was you know you mentioned in the past there was nefarious reasons why it wasn't granted in the first place and so it would make sense why people might initially be excited about that mind explaining a little bit about that
1: this incorporation doctrine is from racist cases so it's from the insular cases and so that's what makes the issue so complex because it is to be celebrated in the sense of it's throwing off the shackles of, of this, you know, the racial animus in this case. The problem is, is that that case um, provides protection for the culture. So basically it's a read the, the argument would be, it's a reappropriation of that case. So it's like, look, yeah, I know it came out for these racial reasons, but, and so let's take in what's workable and what helps protect American Samoa, Samoa. And let's American Samoa be different, and then but leave the bad. You know, it, it's almost like the Three fifths Compromise in the Constitution, right? It's like I don't need to throw the entire Constitution away. We just come up with the Fourteenth Amendment to repeal that Three fifths Compromise, right? And so that's kind of the argument that we're saying here for the terror, for this incorporation doctrine. Say, so, look, yeah, it might have initially been based on racist judges that had some racial reasoning, but it did recognize that there is differences. There are differences, not bad differences, but there are differences in the way that we live in American Samuels versus the way that we live here in the United States. And so that's kind of, so the, the thrust behind the plaintiffs and a lot of people that are cheering for it is, hey, look, yeah, we've thrown off the shackles of the insular cases and this doctrine that was based in racial animus. But the flip is, is what comes after that? You know, what are the worries if they start applying the, the Constitution more fully? Does that mean it puts, you know, is, is that going to make the pathway easier to apply other parts of the Constitution? And so for a lot of Americans Solid Ones, it's, it's specifically on this. And it's, look, you know, it might not be a perfect weapon, but it's a morph weapon and we can reappropriate it. You know, in a lot of people's minds, it's what's well, more powerful than reappropriating something that was previously bad and using it for good. Right um, so and so that's why I think that a lot of there's this a difference in reaction is because, yeah, it, I think it is empowering in the sense of there's some empowerment that comes from saying, "Hey, look, I'm a citizen too, I'm um, equal to you, and there's this intrinsic value that's attached to it, but there's baggage that comes along with it. And so I think that the reason why there's such a split reaction is that the people in America saw so have dealt with this on the ground for so many years they've talked about citizenship and its effect possible effect on land, on land tenure for years and years and years so they're really familiar with it so even but here even if you are someone you don't hear this issue all the time of 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 citizenship and how it might affect the land, So you might not be totally aware of it. <clears throat> that's one big reason why there's a difference in reaction but i mean i think the bigger issue the, even then, the protection of the legal arguments and the protection of the reappropriating the insular cases and the, and the incorporation doc, doctrine, I think a bigger issue than that is the issue of self-determination. You know, the people of America's home war have chosen time and time again through democratic process not to become citizens. They are unorganized because they have not cho- chosen to agree to an organic act, you know, through the 60s, 70s, 80s. Even recently, as 2010 and 2016, that we're going to have one. They've had constitutional conventions, and at these conventions, they have the opportunity to change the agreement or their relationship with the United States. And so, in all those, they've never chosen to become citizens. And so, I think that's the bigger issue here: is that okay? Cast aside because there's some legal arguments against. Oh well, there really is no nexus between citizenship and the Equal Protection Clause, right? Um, Just because we give you citizenship doesn't mean that we're going to, that your land will be affected. They're totally different clauses. But putting that aside, you can just go to the self-determination portion and, and say to yourself, you know, what's more empowering? If this is about intrinsic value and empowerment, it's ironic that you would, someone would, you know, step in and say, okay, yeah, you, let's force through, you know, through the judiciary, these people to have citizenship. You know, I think that's I I think it's interesting that that, you know, in the name of empowerment, that's what we're going to do when to me, again, the question everybody should ask themselves is what's more empowering, giving some of the the people an opportunity to self-determine or giving people citizenship, forced citizenship. So I think that's the other big issue in this case
0: it's interesting because i'm thinking you know this is something i see with a lot of other groups and populations as well and where there's a tension at times with an overseas population right versus those that are still within let's say the ancestral homeland and there's different reasons for that i mean they're all connected they're part of a common identity or a connected identity and sometimes being pushed overseas is linked to you know desires to support and sustain and help the homeland but the reality is over time both places are changing. And sometimes it can be a difficult thing to reconcile. And I you know, I see that with, you know, my own people and I see that with the people that I work with. And I'm hearing it from what you're saying now as well. And I can, I feel like, you know, whether people agree or not, it seems like it would you know, for those who are living in the continental US, for example, you know, it might make practical sense to want citizenship because it might be better for them in the context that they're in, which should be considered. However, it may not be for those who are not in that context and who are still in the context of American Samoa, where they haven't voted or chosen to become citizens or sought that path. Um, and obviously they have their reasons for it. And so I guess that's what I'm, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but thinking yeah. about those, those tensions of a common people who are connected, but because they are now, separated into different contexts may have antagonistic views even with a common identity
1: yeah no i think it's really interesting i think that no i think you've hit it right on the head because i think at the end of the day people just have different interests right i think and it makes it more even more interesting because of how communal american samoa is and how you know um and how individualistic the united states is but i think well let me start off with I won't say that American Samoa and the people, everyone there, it's a monolith. I do think that there are people there that want citizenship, but I, the overwhelming majority, both anecdotally and the surveys that have happened, is that no, let us self-determine. And it's not necessarily let us self-determine that we don't want citizenship. It's just we've we've enjoyed the status quo until now. If we do want citizenship, you know, kind of let let us choose. Let us choose that. I think that's. For me, that's that's a huge issue. If it falls back home, imagine the effects that it's going to have out here. So if it's removed and you're not living the wall here to that extent, as they do back at home, imagine once it starts crumbling at home, you can imagine the effects that it's going to have on the entire diaspora. I do want to uh, comment on just practically speaking, I think that's one of the reasons, I mean, a lot of this comes down to risk tolerance, and that's one of the reasons that American ones and the American Moore more government has no risk tolerance for, no tolerance for, for this is because there is already a pathway to citizenship. You might have to do a few things, right? But the question is, is that is, you know, is it that hard to do considering the possible effects, right? And so if we wanna look at different practical options and then how about we do some legislation that makes it easier to, you know, go through that pathway to citizenship. I think if we were totally precluded from citizenship, this might be a different argument. I mean, this might be in the American Samoa, government and the nationals there, and the people that are born nationals. There might be a different conversation. But I think that because there's a pathway, it's well. Okay, look. I mean, we live different. We're afforded this because, you know, it's a natural. It's almost like a natural law that, you know, if we're afforded this, and it's got to be a give somewhere. It's got to be a give and take somewhere. And I think. Again, American and the majority of them are okay with that give. But when, again, you don't live with that land every day, it might be a little different when you're here. So, yeah, I guess those are some of the tensions that are involved, I think, with it.
0: So, in a, in a sense, like, it's a case of, you know, dealing with different realities that people have, even though they share kind of a, a common origin, but also, like, that they're being positioned into to have to negotiate that in the first place um, is also interesting, right? Because it's like you were saying earlier, like the, the deeds of session that were made, like it was in a, <laughs> you know, it was in a particular context and particular power dynamics that facilitated the, I guess the limited agency within that. Know, I don't know what people's thoughts are on this, or what your thoughts are on this, but like becoming, you know, more closely related to the United States, even though they're already entangled as a territory, but becoming more closely related could potentially, what I'm hearing is, you know, intensify assimilation pressures and also potentially threaten uh, legal protections of some autonomy that still exists in american samuel through that uh through intensifying that closeness of relationship um and i'm not sure if anybody's interested in this or not but it there but i've noticed like in other places like we look at hawaii or or even uh, puerto rico um and i I, you know they're obviously diverse as well and so there's gonna be different perspectives in those places you know but some want you know recognition as nations some want full independence some want you know, to be fully incorporated. And so it's it's a similar kind of situation of, you know, there's different perspectives in there, but is there any of that as well there in American Samoa? I guess if they didn't have to deal with this, what do you think would be the ideal? Would there be a push for full independence or maybe reintegration with the independent state of Samoa? Or is that even considered at all in regards to what people have to think about at the moment?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think that independence is truly on the table. I I think people talk about it. I think there's discussions about all the options. But at least in the recent surveys that I've seen, anecdotally speaking, um, I just don't think that's close to reality about what people feel. I think people love, I I think that people in American Samoa feel American. And I think they feel Samoan. I mean, it's really an obvious and um, proper name for, for the territory. They They feel like they're a part of america um and they also but they also feel like there's all one so there have been discussions and it, ha- it happens a lot about you know what are some options on the table could could we look like x could we look like y but i think you know for the most part people enjoy the status quo um, people enjoy the living like ones and still having that relationship with with the united states um, but I agree with you on the spectrum. I think that in the end, that's the idea, is that the closer you get to becoming a state or becoming totally um, assimilated, the more danger it puts the culture in. Um, and the, You know, that spectrum could even be on the spectrum of territories, too. I mean, you look at some of the other territories, and yeah, they're territories, but they're not, they don't operate the same way as American Samoa. I mean, you look at Puerto Rico is even different, right? But it's, it's from what, you know, everything I've read, it doesn't operate according to indigenous practices, you know? It still um, operates with a a Western flavor of things. So, it is very, it's vastly different um, the way things are handled there. Uh, The land tenure system, from the way that leaders are selected in villages, and and just, it's just, it's remarkably different. Um, And so, you know, it's kind of a roundabout way of saying yes, it is discussed. The spectrum is discussed, but there hasn't been a real rallying cry for anything else besides the status quo as of now, according to what I've seen.
0: And I mean, and this is why I bring it up because it's interesting to think about. For me, like, you know, some of those folks who are trying to revitalize, like, so in Puerto Rico, for example, you're right. Like, there's uh, it's a different um, uh, kind of dominant culture there versus American Samoa. Um, and, you know, there are some who are trying to revitalize Taino practices. There's a Afro-Puerto Rican kind of uh, revitalization and recognition kind of movements and stuff as well. And and they're mixed as to what people want to do and their relationship to the U.S. Um, they're definitely being exploited economically, though, right? And and so there's a lot of issues there. And even look at the recent stuff, like not they're part of the U.S., but they didn't get the support from the U.S. that maybe have, would have been hoped for or expected with the relationship that they've had um, with the with the recent kind of natural disaster that they dealt with. And so thinking about like American Samoa as well, like, you know, there was that recent um, report that that we both kind of looked at as well with the uh, the cannery issues there also. And so it's an interesting thing to think about when we compare these because they are vastly different and maybe, you know, moving beyond the status quo and kind of trying to think beyond it, like what are other possibilities beyond, because there's obviously still issues there still as well, like economically, uh, the economic depends, dependence with global capital and and even like high rates of participation in the military, which which has an impact as well as to the way people see themselves and identity. Um, and American Indians are similar, right? And so this is interesting, you know, phenomenon of, you know, indigenous peoples who literally have violent colonial relationships to a nation state, who then participate quite, you know, in high rates in that, you know, kind of national discourse and, and, and military um, tradition. Um, And part of that is sometimes, you know, uh, there's all kinds of different things that go in there, cultural nuances, but sometimes too, I feel like it's, you know, making practical decisions with limited choices available. And so I wonder how much of that is at play as well. And what, you know, kind of wrap up, like what your thoughts are on that. Like, I think you've helped really shape the complexity of what's going on and, and trying to better understand the situation. And obviously like, you know, what I'm asking you to do is, is, is not practical. I'm asking you to to imagine for a bit, like what do you think are some possible solutions if there wasn't the, the red tape issues or the, the reality of kind of bureaucracies and global economic systems and history and all that baggage you know, what What do you think is possible beyond kind of the immediate survival necessities in the decision makings that we make?
1: Uh, uh, I mean, that's, yeah, no, I agree. I think it's really hard. I think much of what dr- drives what position, it, you know, a territory is on that spectrum depends on a lot of it. It's most of it, maybe most of it is practicality, survival, connections to economic opportunities, connection to economic funding, economic aid. You know, a lot of that is the driving decision maker in a, in a lot of this. I mean, American Samoa isn't different than Polo and then Independence Samoa because we don't have that landmass, right? So there's a lot less resources that are to be had there. Um, granted, things are changing because of the information, age and technology and things like that. But, you know, those are a lot of considerations. Plus the gateway, it's a gateway to the United States. I mean. You know, yeah, it is the poorest possession in the United States, but it still has an opportunity. You still have a gateway to the United States. I mean, so I guess to answer what are the possibilities, I I don't, it's hard to imagine. Even taking away like the survival, there is a sentiment of, again, I think belonging to the U.S. community still. I think there's a strong, like you said, there's that, there's that strong relationship there. If you took away again, the need to rely on the U.S. for a lot of things. I don't know how that would change quite frankly you know it's interesting the effects of kind of the different routes that an independent Samoa took versus American Samoa you know just the difference in cultural influences how much different they are same people same culture family and all that and underlying all. but at the end at the other side it's, it's interesting interesting dichotomy of how much American culture in the US has affected American Samoa So, yeah, I mean, I really can't answer it. I'm just kind of thinking in my head about how I'd answer that. If everything was on the table and everything was kind of viable, what people would do, yeah, you know, I could see possibly them going independent and doing something like that if if practical things weren't on the table as much. But it's really hard to kind of separate those.
0: I mean, and I think about it too. I'm like, look, for me, in my mind, I'm like, you know, they've given so many soldiers to the U.S. Like, it's not like they haven't participated or helped in the U.S. Like, the U.S. has also depended on the commodities that they produce, right? Mm -hmm. It allows you to be a consumer if you have, you know, other places that you can exploit for the production of your goods that you consume. And so, you know, on one hand, like, they've, they've been materially impoverished, but on the other hand, like, there is also a codependency, in my mind, of, you know, like, it's not always talked about, or, or in that way, but I'm like, the, part of the U.S. lifestyle exists because of the contributions of American Samoans through the commodity production and through participation in the military and, and as a strategic location and territory within Oceania, right? And, which is the, and again, yeah, it's just something I try to think about, you know, no, playing no, in the clouds for a while, you know, because, yeah, no, I understand.
1: Not <laughs> that, you know, I don't think it's, too abstract to not come up with you know possible you know to use as a thought exercise i think you can think through some of the contingencies and what it would look like i would just say that you know i do think that there is an allegiance there is a feeling of belonging to the american culture um that it has developed over time there is identity eh? there's an identity that's evolved from it and rightfully so man these soldiers that serve you know you know, I was born here as a citizen, but yeah, who's to say they're not more American than I am? You know what I mean? Like, I can only imagine what what that does to the psyche when it comes to their feelings towards the United States. You know, so.
0: And and for me, like, the reason you know, obviously, like I'm coming from the anthropology background, so I'm super fascinated in identity and culture, and so, like, for me, I see that as like the more, like the most powerful thing. You know, like yeah, we're talking about law and legal precedents, and that's tied to a lot of power, especially with You know, um, the the nation state, I'm in the territory. But, like, you know, as far as like what you push for, what you don't push for, or what, you know, people are at, like identity is big. I feel like culture is extremely powerful in regards to, and and again, like with these other movements that I've mentioned, it's also about culture and identity and not feeling a belonging or not wanting to belong, right? Like, whether it's, you know, uh, Hawaiian sovereignty movements or Hawaiian independence movements that say, like, uh, you're illegally occupying, right? Um, which is also tied to identity and culture, which is very different from, in the case of yours, where there's it's, it's an in between, right? Where it's like, um, obviously, like you said, there's diversity of perspectives, but generally it seems like they're they're happy kind of being in between because they haven't become fully integrated, but they're also connected loosely, so they're they're part of it, but not fully part of it. And maybe that's what allows for, as well, like what you mentioned, the, the identity and, and culture of wanting to maintain a particular status quo, even though there may still be issues, right?
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, there, and I think it's just, there's going to be issues, right? There's going to be externalities that come from the relationship because it's just, it's not a perfect fit. That's why we're not perfectly aligned. And we lead different lives, you know, again, the people of American on will lead different lives than the people here, not different or worse lives or in value, but it's just different. So it's hard to come up with something that's going to work in all circumstances. You know, I think that there are some issues on the horizon that are going to prove challenging to the relationship and that might make people reassess the relationship more.
0: Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate you sharing. I feel like um, because of its uniqueness, but also because of its connection to so many other issues, I feel like it's just super relevant to, to kind of have a better understanding of what's been happening, what's been going on, your work and other issues there as well. Because um, I think there's a global precedence to, to these questions and thinking about and thinking through these ideas and these challenges as well that are differently similar or similarly different to other places and other peoples as well. As we think about like the way the world continues to change. Um, and how, you know, we're connected and not connected and we're dealing with historical baggage and colonial power relations and, you know, all these other things.
1: No, I mean, I just said, you know, I think that, you know, if people are interested in the citizenship case. I think there's, you know, you can pull the, the, the opinion online and things like that. I think it's interesting. I just think that, you know, when you look at cases like that and you really... It's easy to jump on one side or the other without fully thinking it through, and I think that issues are can be complex and they require us to think through them critically. You know, uh, I kind I, of dealing
0: with the, Like the historical baggage is with us, right? Like, and it's you know we can't change the past, but how do we endure the those past things, right? Um, and make like you said the best decisions that are nonetheless messy and complicated.
1: Yeah, I think things are messy, and I think that the citizenship case is a great case study for people to look at. I mean, I think it's really impactful and on the ground for the people of American Samoa, but really look at it like, you know, if this is, a, again, an issue of empowerment and uh, intrinsic value and worth, um, where does that derive from? Good issues, interesting issues and pertinent issues.
0: Choice,
1: bro. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us. Thanks, bro. Thanks for having me.